Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. What do you mean if Donald Trump fires Robert Mueller, we could be in a constitutional crisis? We're already in a constitutional crisis with this guy. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Wednesday, Wednesday, April 11th. How about it? So good to see you. Hello, hello, hello. It is the Bill Press Show. And it's good to see you today on this Wednesday. I hope you are ready for a uh, lively show because there's a lot to talk about as the controversy builds, uh, the the tension builds over what Donald Trump's going to do in response to the FBI raid on the offices of his private attorney, Michael Cohen. There are rumors that the president is ready, pardon me, is ready to fire special counsel Robert Mueller, to fire the deputy attorney general Rod Rosenstein, to fire Jeff Sessions. Is he also going to fire the new acting U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, whom he appointed and who authorized the raid on Michael Cohen's office? It is really getting very sticky down at the White House, and reports are that privately the president is seething, and his press secretary saying, secretary saying he believes he has the right to fire anybody he wants. Yep, all of that starts us off today. Hello, everybody. We will get into it and look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter. Join uh, the club here. Join the conversation. Send us your comments on Twitter. At BP Show. We jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. So, on Wheel of Fortune last night, there was a very, very, very bad run of luck for a contestant by the name of Johnny Knowles. Now, Johnny Knowles just had to solve the puzzle and he was going to win $7,000 and a trip to Europe. He had to solve the puzzle, which uh-huh. was flamenco dance lessons flamenco dance lessons and of course there were a couple of different uh uh letters missing so when he took a crack at it he said flamingo dance lessons i want you to hear it again flamingo dance lessons flamingo flamingo instead of flamenco flamingo sorry 
So they did not let him win, even though he... Even he mispronounced he it? He mispronounced it. Did he, he said, spell it right? He, no, because oh. they, those letters were oh, missing. Oh, got it. So he tried to solve it, and he said flamingo <laughs> instead of flamenco. And so he says it was a slip of the tongue. Wheel of Fortune says, well, it sounds like you didn't know what you were talking about. So oh. no prize for him. No oh. prize for him. I think he better hire Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's going he's gonna to find some of those leftover <laughs> lawyers that Trump's not using. Yeah, right. exactly. Joe DeGeneres available. Yeah, you know, <laughs> a little disheveled, but he can make it happen. Uh, big, big, big announcement yesterday by Bank of America. They announced that they are going to stop lending money to clients that manufacture military-style rifles and sell them to civilians. They put out a statement yesterday. Their vice chair says, quote, it's not our intent to underwrite or finance military-style firearms for people to consume. Uh, so they're they're just going to stop giving uh, business loans. any kind of business loans yeah. to any of these people that make AR-15s or, or any other uh, uh, kind of military-style assault weapons. Well, good for them. Yeah, right? I, I don't know how many loans like that they have, but so it could be just, uh, you know, a PR stunt. It could right? be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Uh, and one final story. We mentioned yesterday that the Black Lives Matter page on Facebook, the biggest one out there, was a total scam. Facebook yesterday took the whole thing down. So uh, they have fixed the problem. We won't have that issue again. Was uh, that before or after the hearing? It was actually during the hearing. Oh, so Mark yeah. Zuckerberg didn't do it himself. Somebody else on Facebook made it happen. Uh, but they did. They took the whole thing down because they realized, oops, we've been totally scammed and uh, and had the wrong thing up. So anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit safer now. There's a little less fake news on Facebook. A little less. <laughs> a little less. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Fire Rosenstein, fire Muller, fire Jeff Sessions, fire Jeffrey Berman. Yep. They expect the worst at the White House as President Trump lashes out after the raid on his lawyer's office. What's going to happen? Uh, we'll get into it. Today with you, hello everybody, the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome. Great to see you today on this Wednesday, Wednesday, April 11. Can you believe it? We're just getting started here, and it's good to have you with us for the next two hours. We'll take you through the news of the day with uh, some of the best journalists here in Washington, D.C., joining us as our guests. And, of course, the most important guests on the program are you, you, all of you, wherever you happen to be in the United States of America and around the globe. We join you uh, for this, uh, for the next two hours, and we invite you to join us, not just sitting back and listening or watching or whatever, but tweeting about what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Whether you're joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, on Free Speech TV, or on the radio on Indiana Talks throughout the state of Indiana, and in the greater Chicago area, Chicago and all the great burbs around Chicago on WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, a little bit of bad news, uh, first of all. Um, 
I don't know whether you checked your mailbox yesterday. Um, I did. Uh, the invitations are out uh, to the royal wedding. Yeah. And uh, you didn't get an it. invite? Damn it. Didn't get one. You know, but, I have a plus one. Maybe I could bring you as my date. Oh, all yeah, right. If you want to come yeah. with. I, I mean, I know the I know the woman is making the cake, right? <laughs> She's a friend of mine, right? Claire Patak, right? We, uh, and uh, I'm not yeah, even... You should totally be invited. Totally, right. I mean, you know, she was her son David's best friend when they were growing up together in Inverness, California. But um, I, I can't feel too badly because um, I'm not the only one who didn't make the list. Donald Trump did not make the list. Donald Trump and Melania did not make the list. You know who else didn't make the list? Surprise, surprise. Barack Obama and Michelle did not make the list. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think they thought that if they invited That's Obama, it. it could be it would be perceived as an insult to the current president. They had to sort of say no politicians, <laughs> like no yeah. politicians, because they can't invite Trump. And like no, you said, if, no. they, if they invited a Barack Obama— uh, it would look, it would become a thing, right? You know, it would become a thing. Oh, yeah, they invited Barack yeah. Obama, but they didn't invite Donald Trump. It would yeah. be a whole thing. And Harry, but Harry could say, you know, like, hey, look, he's my friend. You know, I don't know this Trump guy, right? I just we invite our friend. But no, they decided. Uh, but the political is a political decision, and it's rumored that they may not even invite. Therefore, the prime minister, she may not have been on. They're, they're not sure whether she's on the list or not. Uh, maybe, maybe. Not. Yes, indeed. Um, but let's start out with Mark Mark Zuckerberg. What do you think? I never saw so much anticipation before here. Well, not since James Comey testified. I mean, yeah. that was a big deal, too, right? And by the way, his book comes out next week. A uh, week from yesterday comes out on the 17th. I think he's got a big 60 Minutes interview this weekend. At any rate, you know, there's going to be gonzo publicity uh, for uh, James Comey and his book almost as much as for my uh, new book from the left. Almost. A Life in the Crossfire. Yeah. And Comey and I may go on book tour together. Uh, <laughs> I'll take the leftovers. Right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. But at any rate, the anticipation for the hearing yesterday and the cable coverage, full-time, live, 24-7. You know, I was up at CNN doing CNN International yesterday, but everybody else was off for the day. I mean, the regular program, because they had all special programming, wall-to-wall Mark Zuckerberg, building up to the hearing, covering all four hours of the hearing. Forty-two senators, two different, two committees put together, and then the one guy, Mark Zuckerberg, sitting there. And, you know, it was like the closest to a public flogging (laughs) that we have ever seen. It was sort of like Sharia law, right? You know, they put him in the middle there, and they all took turns throwing stones at him. And yeah, I don't think they landed a stone. I don't think they did. I mean, Zuckerberg was certainly, well, there are two things going on. Zuckerberg was, this is my read, love to take your read, at BP Show. Uh, but he was calm. He was prepared. Uh, he knew what the hell he was talking about. And he was facing a bunch of old farts who probably are not on Facebook and wouldn't know how to get on Facebook if you ask them to and don't understand what it was all about. It sort of, to me, was like a farmer who drives a horse and buggy, right, who was trying to <laughs> to interview the guy who's got the latest Porsche, uh, you know, and, and they were asking horse and buggy questions, didn't know what questions to ask him about the Porsche because they live in a different world. I thought the... 
most instructive. You, you're, you're right. None of those guys. I bet you no. none of the not not a no. single one of them have ever logged on to Facebook. Yeah, I, I some of them may have like a Kamala Harris. Maybe you know, there were some on the panel. Maybe sure. But 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 uh, they uh, have people that run it for them. Exactly, ninety-five percent. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and didn't know what question. I thought like Aaron Hatch, for example. Here we go. What's Aaron Hatch? Eighty-three, eighty-four, whatever. So he says. I don't understand how you can have a business model that people don't pay for. How can that how can that work? And Zuckerberg just said, We run ads, Senator. Duh. By the way, I, but, yeah. That's how TV works, like, I, like yeah, a lot of markets, right? No, like, exactly. I mean, so that's that's the level uh, uh <laughs> of questions. At any rate, as I said. Zuckerberg was cool and collected, and he he admitted um, in, in his opening statement that, look, um, we should have done more, but we didn't. It's clear now that we didn't do enough to prevent these tools from being used for harm as well. <coughs> and that goes for fake news, for foreign interference in elections and hate speech, as well as developers and data privacy. Right. And he, had, he, he does point out, uh, and we talked about this uh, uh, yesterday with uh, with uh, Nancy Scola from Scola Politico, yeah. from uh, Politico, who knows this stuff so well, she was at the hearing yesterday. Came here before she went to the hearing. That it's uh, it's not just he was sitting there alone, but it's not just Facebook. I realize the issues we're talking about today aren't just issues for Facebook and our community; they're issues and challenges for all of us as Americans. And he says, we know now, we do a great job of connecting b- b- billions of people around the globe, but we got to do more than that. It's not enough to just connect people. We have to make sure that those connections are positive. It's not enough to just give people a voice. We need to make sure that people aren't using it to harm other people or to spread misinformation. And here is really still one, uh, I, I think, indefensible act that they, they found out that Cambridge Analytica, this politically connected firm had bought the data that Facebook had given free to this professor at Cambridge University, and they check in with Cambridge Analytica, and they believe Cambridge Analytica when we said, oh, yeah, we got it, but we didn't use it. We just destroyed it. When we heard back from Cambridge Analytica that they had told us that they weren't using the data and had deleted it, we considered it a closed case. In <laughs> retrospect, that was clearly a mistake. We shouldn't have taken their word for it, and we've updated our policies and how we're going to operate the company to make sure that we don't make that mistake again. Yeah, okay. You know, you and I uh, agree. I, I think that Zuckerberg came off uh, fairly well yesterday, especially given who he was up against. Yeah. But that is indefensible. No, that is indefensible. Uh, no. we, we know, and we have known for years, the power of Facebook. We know the reach of Facebook. We know how many people... Right. Have signed up and have a life on Facebook. Two billion people. And when you are just sort of kind of shrugging off so, something like that, eh, we figured they just got rid of it. We didn't oh, really follow so cavalier it. that these people over there have all the privacy, the data, privacy on all the people that belong to your service, and you just shrug and say, oh, well. You're running probably the biggest company in the world yeah, in no. terms of reach and, totally. and all that stuff, and you didn't follow through no. on that? No, totally indefensible. As I say, you know, he, he, they didn't, I don't think they laid a glove on, glove on him at all. The one who came closest 
was our good friend, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, I think. Durbin sort of turned the tables on Zuckerberg uh, <laughs> uh, in a very telling way. Would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um. Uh, no. Yeah, that's it. Right. If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that might be what this is all about. Bingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's nailed what. It. That's what this is all about. And not only the fact that I think the follow-up question would be then. To, so, therefore, uh, if you wanted to get off of Facebook, don't you think you should be able to get off of Facebook pretty easily just by pushing one click? Yeah. Right? I want Delete. out. I want out. I want out. I'm out. And that's not the way it is. So, uh, he, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, will be back. Uh, <laughs> you know, the other thing is I had several people at CNN mention this yesterday. It's the the, the the phrase I've seen is stop juvenilizing the leaders of Silicon Valley. Like you think they're just kids. They're not just kids anymore. They're not just kids in their college dorm anymore. I mean, he's not that old, but he's 33. He's married. He has kids. He's a grown up. Yeah. He's running the biggest business on the planet. So don't just dismiss him as saying, you know, he's like one of those high school students from Parkland, Florida, right. who may not have it all together yet, right? Because he's 17. No, he's not. No, he's not. But he'll be back in front of the House, uh, I forget which committee today, probably, they'll probably line up 84 members of the House <laughs> right. to ask him questions, right? Uh, and also, uh, none of them know how to use and the internet none of them, <laughs> Right. So don't expect anything happening today. Meanwhile, yes, indeed, uh, are we heading for a constitutional crisis? I think we are already in a constitutional crisis. It is very, very serious at the White House. We talked a lot about this yesterday, but there's still more, a lot more repercussions. We haven't seen the end of this by far. Uh, to the FBI raid on uh, the offices, and the office and the home and the hotel room of President Trump's private attorney, Michael Cohen. And as we said yesterday, right, it's worth pointing out, uh, and we emphasize this in the show I did on CNN yesterday, that there's nobody closer to Donald Trump than Michael Cohen. I mean, this gets right into the inner sanctum because he has been working with Donald Trump out of Trump Tower as his private personal attorney for years, way before the campaign, during the campaign, and still does today. He and Donald Trump and Melania hang out together. They have dinner together. Uh, they're best friends. And uh, remember, uh, Michael Cohen admitted, if you believe him, uh, that he's such a good friend of Donald Trump that he took out uh, a loan on his mortgage of $130,000 to pay off Stormy Daniels. And what we know about this raid, well, first of all, one very important thing to remember is, so Donald Trump says, this is, the, we played this yesterday, it's a disgrace, it's an attack on our country, it's an attack on everything we believe in. No, it's not. It's a search for evidence of criminal wrongdoing. And in order for the FBI to raid the, the office and the home and the, and the hotel room of Mr. Cohen, they had to get a search warrant. So what happened is this was so done according to the law. 
Robert Mueller gets this invest gets this find, finds this out as part of his investigation. He says this looks like possible criminal activity related to. Here's what it's all about. Both the New York Times and the Washington Post report this this morning, as well as all the social media sites, it's or the news media sites. It's related to the payments for two women, Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels both of which happened in 2016 during the presidential campaign. Both of them paid hush money not to talk. Both of them thereby, it looks like, could have been those payments made to keep them quiet so they would not have an adverse effect on Donald Trump's chances of getting elected. Both of them amounting, therefore, to campaign contributions, and neither of them reported. And possibly Donald Trump and Michael Cohen conspiring, colluding to cover it up and hide the evidence from law enforcement. That's what they were looking for. Now, to get that information, Mueller refers it to Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, who refers it to the U.S. attorney in New York. So this raid was not carried out by Robert Mueller's people. He's, Mueller didn't give the order. Mueller refers it to Rosenstein. Rosenstein sees we got possible criminal activity, criminal, criminal activity here. He refers it to the Southern District of New York, which is headed by, that was headed by Preet Bharara, Bahara, right? Donald Trump fired him. So it's now headed by Jeffrey Berman, an attorney by the name of Jeffrey Berman. Jeffrey Berman, appointed by Donald Trump, guess what? recuses himself because he was a volunteer attorney for Donald Trump during the campaign, and he knows he's got an apparent conflict of interest. But I find it very funny that the man that Donald Trump appointed recused himself from this uh, this little matter. Um, <clears throat> Where have we seen that before? Didn't Jeff Sessions get in a little trouble oh, because right. he recused himself? <laughs> so here we go again. But at any rate, follow me now. The team of attorneys, all of whom are Republicans in the Southern District of New York, they take a look at this and they say, looks looks like criminal activity to me. They go to a judge. They point to give the evidence to the judge. And the judge says, looks like criminal activity to me. Yes, you can go ahead and raid these offices. Now, you see how many steps they had to go through? And then Donald Trump says, this is an attack on our country. No, this is the way our country works. This is the way the justice system works. And so now they have this information. And again, Donald Trump says, oh, this is against attorney-client privilege. Chris Christie pointed that out yesterday, I thought, of all people, former U.S. attorney. Chris Christie says, no, 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 this does not violate attorney-client privilege. Attorney-client privilege is not dead because of the way the Justice Department is going to approach this. So you can bring in a whole separate team of agents and assistant U.S. attorneys who are going to examine this. They're going to separate it into stuff that's privileged, stuff that isn't. But, uh, I remember we, uh, the attorney, uh, Tom Spiegel, that we had in uh, yesterday pointed out that this team that Chris Christie was talking about is actually called the Taint Team. So they will find out what's tainted and what's not. It's a... A curious term for that team of people, but that's the professional term that they use, and they'll determine what is a client, attorney, client, set that aside, and and what and what is not. Not everything an attorney does is under attorney-client privilege. So that's so that's the next step. But this is 
This is monumentally serious. And Donald Trump knows it, which is why he's reacting the way he is, which is privately, we're told, uh, that he is threatening to fire who knows. <laughs> yeah, anybody. Fire, anybody right. he can get his hands on. Uh, reportedly, he wants to fire Robert, Rod Rosenstein and thinks that, uh, but and maybe even Robert Mueller and maybe even Jeff Sessions. The guy I was with on CNN yesterday said he has personally told the president, personally told the president that he should fire all three of them, oh, which is insane. It's insane. As know, I say, if you're getting to that point, I don't think we're talking about that this could become a constitutional crisis. I, I think we're in yeah. a constitutional crisis because this president, I mean, there are rules. There are in the Department of Justice, there are rules that say that a special counsel can only be fired. There are like five reasons. But all, like for cause, you know, he'd have to rob a bank or, I mean, do something really, you can't just fire him because you don't like the fact that investigation is underway the way Donald Trump fired James Comey. What? Yeah. And by the way, when they're thinking about firing Robert Mueller and, or Jeff Sessions or Rod Rosen, doesn't he remember what happened when he fired James Comey? I mean, that's why he's in so much trouble today. Because he fired James Comey. And now that's why he's being investigated now for obstruction of justice. So they didn't learn anything from the fire. He didn't learn anything from the firing of James Comey. Uh, it is, um, we're in serious times, folks. And Donald Trump by, has canceled his trip to South America to stay here to, uh, to deal with this. Um, and I, I think the real test, and we know there's nobody around him now, uh, who's going to can control him or tell him to calm down and just let this thing play out? You know, Trey Gowdy of all people from South uh, South Carolina. I thought said it best. If you if you haven't done anything wrong, just let the investigation continue. Just just act like you're innocent. Donald Trump doesn't act like he's innocent. He's act he acts like he knows <laughs> he did something wrong, and he's afraid they're going to find out and tell us right. Handle it just, 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 just the opposite way, uh, and you know I think we may be at a point, we may really be at a point in this country, where this is a test as to whether our government can survive a strong man like Erdogan of Turkey or whatever the or Orlan or whatever his name is of Hungary, uh, or Kim Jong Un of North Korea who basically rush runs roughshod over the Constitution, over any government agency, any government institution, all of our democratic institutions that we've built up over the last 229 years. Uh, Donald Trump trying to undo it all. Can our, is our government strong enough to resist that so, and survive it? I, I thought a lot about this since yesterday's show because at yesterday's show we, we played a lot of the clips of Donald Trump on Monday night after we found out the news about Michael Cohen and him saying, this is an attack on America, you know, like he was, he was visibly shaken. Yeah. uh, Which you don't see a lot from Donald Trump. Say what you will about Donald Trump. He, he manages to control his, his his sort of narrative uh, Mm -hmm. the way that that he wants to. Right. And, and and it looked like he had sort of uh, was getting a little emotional about the whole thing. And that's publicly, apparently privately he is 10 times worse. Totally. Totally. And the thing is, like when he gets that way, 
Donald Trump, I think, is capable of anything. He's capable of anything. And I want to read absolutely. A, I want to read a tweet that he sent out this morning after we started the show, uh, right when we started the show, because uh, this has to do with Syria and the Russian involvement with Syria. And he says, "Quote." Russia vows to shoot down any yeah. and all <laughs> missiles fired at Syria. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming nice and new and smart. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. So, but by the way, I, he can do anything. Yeah, so what he's doing here, what, what he's saying in that tweet is that we are going to send missiles into Syria. I will go back and look at the clips sometime, but I know that Donald Trump attacked Barack Obama for telegraphing his moves ahead of time. Yes. And said no, this, that, was, right? that was one of the big things of the campaign. Yes, we don't, yes. We're not going to tell, tell, tell you our plan. We're not going to tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to tell the enemy no, what we're going to do. Like Barack Obama, he's so dumb. He tells him what we're going to do ahead of time. <laughs> Hello, what did you just do, dummy? Right? <laughs> Don't you remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. People kept pushing him for his plan. I'm not going to share my plan because if no. I give the plan, then the bad guys will know what we're going to do. It's so yeah. stupid. Yeah. So will he will he violate existing rules, Department of Justice rules, and directly fire Robert Mueller? Because everybody says, no, you can't do it. It has to be the attorney general. Now, he's recused himself. Therefore, the deputy attorney general, he can't fire Mueller directly, so he'd have to fire Rose, ask, tell Rosenstein to fire him. If Rosenstein doesn't, he fires Rosenstein. He gets, keeps going until he gets somebody who will fire Mueller. But Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, got everybody a little uh, uh, questioning what might happen yesterday when during the briefing, not a long clip, but she, they, she reporters were pressing her, does the president think that he could himself directly fire Robert Mueller? Uh, certainly believes he has the power to do so. Certainly believes he has the power to do so. Most legal experts say, no, he doesn't. Uh, most uh, those who have served in either the Bush Justice Department or the Obama Justice Department said he does not have the authority. Uh, the Trump believes he does, according to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Certainly within his power. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But meanwhile, just one final point: um, Donald Trump also uh, attacked this raid yesterday morning, as if the, you know they swooped in and they beat up Michael Cohen and his wife and his kids, tied them up and slapped them around. Michael Cohen, for the record, says that the FBI agents yesterday, quoting him on CNN yesterday, he said the FBI agents were quote extremely professional courteous and respectful uh they found him in his hotel room and when they left he said he thanked them for being so nice uh, that does not sound like him doesn't sound like him but <laughs> i mean i believe of, it i believe it, it, it but it sort of refutes yeah what Donald Trump. hey one final point here before we take a break i find it very very funny there is a uh uh an unexpected problem uh in lining up the um summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, and that is that North Korea doesn't have a plane good enough or new enough for Kim Jong-un to fly anywhere without having oh. to stop several times to refuel. Oh, no. 
So the big question is, that's why I took the train to Beijing. Welcome right? to the world stage. Uh, yeah. So he might have to borrow a plane from South Korea <laughs> or borrow a plane from China. That's amazing. Or like hopscotch, wherever. He, he can't cross, you know, like the Pacific. He'd have to stop in Hawaii. And there are places wouldn't let him stop. Right. Or they'd arrest him if he stopped, or they'd put, they'd put sanctions on him if he stopped. That's amazing. Uh, I think it's a very funny thing about how they, where they might have to have the summit. That's Th- just so perfect. They'll have to have the summit wherever he can take an Uber to get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the modern world, Kim Jong-un. Hey. So what is happening on uh, Capitol Hill on many fronts, so not just the Zuckerberg hearing yesterday? Scott Wong covers the Hill for the Hill. <laughs> he joins us next year on the Bill Press Show. Hang in just a minute. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello. On a Wednesday, April 11, uh, here we are, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. And there's a lot happening, both at the White House uh, and on Capitol Hill. A little uh, shameless plug again and a reminder, if you haven't already done so, check out our website. For more about my new book, just out a week or so now, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. Again, go to our website, BillPressShow.com, for reviews of the book, comments about the book, uh, and even a way, if you please, that you could uh, sign up to get your own copy. And we welcome to the studio... Uh, from the Hill, who covers the Hill for the Hill, if you follow all of that, uh, the great publication, <laughs> The Hill newspaper, thehill.com. Scott Wong, senior reporter. Scott, good to see you. Hey, Bill. Good to be back. Uh, so Congress is back in town and a lot going on this week. Huh? Well, they, yeah. they, were, uh, they had a two-week recess, so right. it had sort of slowed down. So you had, uh, what, two weeks? You took your kids to Disneyland? Or just I was to... down in Savannah, Georgia for a week. Whoa. Hey, all yeah. right. Very cool. First, yeah. first time down there and absolutely loved it. Yeah, near Charleston where Peter grew up here. Yes, right? indeed. Yes, all indeed. Right. Well, we've been at it for a little while here, Scott, so stirring up, uh, talking mainly about about Robert Mueller and about Mark Zuckerberg. We're going to hear from you on that, too. But, uh, Peter, we have some comments. Yes, indeed. Some comments uh, where we are tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. Would love to hear from you there. Matt says, we've been in a constitutional crisis ever since Mitch McConnell blocked every court appointment of President Barack Obama, well, including his Supreme Court pick of Merrick Garland. That is a true constitutional crisis. Uh, Good point, Matt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, KG says, going... <laughs> Going after Trump's personal lawyer is almost as critical as cutting his hair. Watch ooh, out, America. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, you don't want to deal right. with that. Uh, also, remember, we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where we have a great chat room there. Dewey says it was a disgrace how dumb they were, talking about uh, the senators interviewing and grilling Mark Zuckerberg. It was a disgrace how dumb they were. Also, nothing was really asked. The history of his actions are everywhere, but uh, left out in that session. Uh, Smacky Pipe says the best part of the Senate Facebook hearing was seeing a bunch of rich white guys discovering for the first time that they were cookies on the interwebs. <laughs> if you if you have any comments, find us on Twitter at BP Show or in the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right. So, Scott, um, today is round two That's for right. Mark Zuckerberg. That's right. Uh, what can we expect and where is it held and what so committee? And- Zuckerberg will be back on Capitol Hill before the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Mm-hmm. So, yesterday he was in the Senate. 
uh, testifying before two committees, joint committees. Now he's over on the House side. I expect it to be a little bit more rowdy, rambunctious. Oh, let's uh, hope so. You know, th- yeah. this is the House of Representatives here, and right. uh, these guys are— They may have a cl- some clue, not total knowledge. Well, that was the big complaint from yesterday was that a lot of these elderly senators— appeared that they didn't know what they were talking about. Maybe they had never been on Facebook before. There was a real disconnect. And for a lot of those guys, they have their staffs manage their Facebook pages. But in the House of Representatives, some of these guys are in their 30s. They clearly Mm. grew up with Facebook and use Facebook on a regular basis. And so I think you're going to see a lot better questioning uh, following up from yesterday. In fact, I I caught up with Greg Walden, the ENC chairman who's going to be presiding Mm. over the hearing today and last night, and I talked to him, and I said, what can we expect? And he says, look, the senators got a chance to ask their questions. We were watching that conversation intently. We can frame our questions to you know, better follow up on certain points that we felt that Zuckerberg may have dodged mm-hmm. or didn't fully answer. Uh, and so <clears throat> you know, while, while they're at a sort of disadvantage in that this is day two and sort of the, the air you know, is out of the balloon, uh, they feel like they can sort of pinpoint where the Senate maybe didn't quite, you know, examine fully and uh, and probe those areas a little bit more completely. So, are they likely? Um, the, this is Republicans in control, right? Are, are Republicans really thinking about more regulation? I mean, they're supposedly the party that's that is against regulation. Yeah, I, I don't think you heard too many people yesterday just, you know, pounding their fists, demanding regulation, demand, demanding more re- regulation. Even Some on, said they would vote, like John Thune in his opening statement kind of said, you know, I never I th- thought we'd go that down that path, yeah. but I might change now. Right, right. right. And I, I sort of, my takeaway was the senators yesterday had a had a firm message for Zuckerberg and Facebook, and that was, do it yourself, you know, take this upon yourself, take this opportunity, fix it, you know, make the user agreements more easy to understand, uh, or else Congress will step in and do it for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really like a choice for you, Facebook. Right. What are you going to do? Uh, and not just Facebook, but the rest of the other uh, um, IT companies, right? Right, yeah. right. I mean, there there were yeah. there were other companies that were referenced during the hearing, Palantir, uh, which is which is interesting because these are these are sort of uh, data scraping companies. These are companies that that go in and uh, you know they're they're they can go, go into public sites and and sometimes into private sites and and scrape data and they they are able to compile that and analyze that and then package it and sell it. And so this is this is I think an industry that is gonna that deserves a little bit more scrutiny. How many uh, how many members of the Energy and Commerce? Oh, oh, oh gosh, it's it's a huge committee, mm-hmm. uh, and there's some big names on this committee: Steve Scalise, the Majority Whip; Kathy McMorris Rogers, who's number four in leadership, along with a bunch of folks who are going to have tough re-election races, like Leonard Lance and and maybe Adam Kinzinger, um, folks running for the Senate, like Kevin Kramer in North Dakota. So there's going to be some moments, I think, where people realize: look, the cable networks are on us. We have an opportunity to, you know grab the nation's attention here, make a name for ourselves, perhaps. And I think you're going to see a lot more explosive moments than we saw on the Senate uh, side. It'll be interesting to see whether um, uh, what the cable 
cable networks do with yeah. the day number two. Yeah, right? that's true. Uh, with with the, I think if it's slow, they'll probably tune out. But I, you know, it's. But they'll certainly start off maybe by covering. I mean, there's an incredible th- amount of attention. I mean, basically every TV on Capitol Hill yesterday was fixated on the oh, Facebook yeah. hearing yesterday. Yeah. No, uh, everybody was going wall to wall. Zuckerberg. Um, so um, you mentioned Steve Scalise. I've got to ask you this. I keep reading these articles that about rumors that Paul Ryan would step down as speaker. Uh, I saw one article the other day. might have been yours. Um on the Hill where uh, reportedly Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy are both rounding up votes for themselves to be to become speaker to take Ryan's place. Ryan's a pretty young guy, really. Is he is he told people he's going to step down? And does that mean step down from Congress or just step down from speaker? He, he is a young guy. He's 48 years old. <clears throat> when he was elected, he was the youngest speaker of the House. Uh those rumors are real. I mean, there, Based there on is what, there is there is apparently a, he's talking to people or well he's talking to people. I don't I don't have that firsthand, but yeah, certainly the sentiment when you ask lawmakers, when you ask close allies of the speaker, uh, will he be back after the November elections? Nearly, it's nearly unanimous. Most people don't believe that he will be returning in the fall after November six. And that's regardless of whether Republicans. the Republicans hold the House or not. Yeah. Uh, I think the thinking is is that, you know, he's he's had his battles with the Freedom Caucus. He's he's sort of battered and bruised. He's had his his fights and his differences with the president at times. That relationship has been really poor, uh, you know, in the tail end of the campaign. It, it since has been somewhat repaired. But they didn't get repeal or replace through. They only really got tax cuts through, and, and that's about it in terms of the big right. items. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think there's a feeling, you know, every few years, and he has been around for a few years as speaker, there is a reset that happens. It happened with John Boehner where you sort mm-hmm. of exhaust your time mm-hmm. in that position. And, and people realize it's not like the old days with Joe Cannon anymore where you stick around for a decade or two. Those jobs have have a finite amount of time, and then you move on. So, you know, naturally there is jockeying that occurs uh, between the number two and number three leaders, as well as, you know, people angling for chairmanships and and all sorts of things. So I think that's a little bit about what you're hearing now between McCarthy and Scalise, that there's some jockeying. It's not overt, yeah, but it is happening behind the scenes, you know. I mean, leaks here and there about McCarthy— raising so much money for House Republicans or, you know, Scalise taking 10 members, you know, on a CODEL to, to Africa. I mean, all of these little things sort of add up. And it's what it is, is these leaders, uh, you know, sort of nurturing their relationships with their members. Right. In advance of a p- potential leadership race. Of course, we well, um, some of us will do want to do the House Republicans a favor um, by um, taking care of Paul Ryan in the uh, in the November midterms with our good buddy Iron Stash, oh, yeah. right? So Randy right. Price, the Iron Stash, Randy Price. So uh, if we're, we're counting on Randy to uh, to take care of Paul Ryan, and then the Republicans you know, won't have to right. face the embarrassment of having him well, that, resign as speaker. That seat may be open very soon, and and I do think <laughs> it, you know if he were to step down from the speakership, it would be a clean break. He would leave. Congress completely. Really? Yeah, I mean, 
The Republicans say that, that they're not like Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, where Nancy Pelosi can lose the majority and stick around for another, huh. you know, yeah. f- four or eight years as, as minority leader. I mean, that he would actually resign from not just as Speaker, but resign from Congress. Right. And, you know, he's in, and look, Congress is not the most uh, incredibly popular place these days, as you know. And so. It, it would it would make sense for him to step away from Capitol Hill and he could do whatever he wants. He you know he his he clearly is a bright guy with a bright future. I mean he yeah. he could he could go make money. I, mean, I saw could, um, I saw a poll here that that I think the approval rating for Congress is nine percent. Oh, I yeah, yeah. I stopped keeping track once. That it, sounds a little high. Yeah, <laughs> single digits sound right, but nine's a little high. Mm-hmm. Chlamydia is more popular. Um, <laughs> I forget what the, what the number is. Uh, so Donald Trump fuming down at the White House uh, about this raid of his private attorney's home, office, and hotel room. Um, and lots of rumors that he may be about to fire Robert Mueller. There is bipartisan legislation already introduced in the Senate. Uh, in anticipation of Donald Trump's attempting to fire Robert right. Mueller to protect Robert Mueller from being fired, even though um, it's my understanding that uh, there are pretty tight Department of Justice rules about where you, when you can and cannot fire uh, a special counsel. But <clears throat> but they think that John Trump may run roughshod over those rules, so therefore they have to have some legislation. Um, yesterday, a, a couple of interesting comments. First of all, John Kennedy from Louisiana saying um, he doesn't think Donald Trump would do this anyway. First of all, he can't do that. Only uh, Mr. Rosenstein can. He could fire Rosenstein. And, and, well, he could, but but uh, I just don't think it would end the process, and I think the president's too smart for that. Too smart for that. Uh, and kind of related, Mitch McConnell, so there is this bill, but Mitch McConnell, um, bipartisan bill, to protect Mueller. Mitch McConnell won't bring it up for a vote because he said again yesterday... I haven't seen clear indication yet that we needed to pass something to keep him from being removed because I don't think that's going to happen. Well, so um, you don't do anything until he is fired. Is that what <laughs> Mitch McConnell's thinking? Or what do you what do you hear from members about this? I mean, clearly Chuck Schumer would like them to pass a bill that would protect Mueller, but and maybe a handful of Republicans do as well, but. The appetite from leadership is, they, you know, they don't want to touch this. They know that doing something like that would, you know, fan the flames for Donald Trump and, you know, invite his ire mm-hmm. or retaliation in in some way or another. And they don't want to, <clears throat> they don't want to go down that path. But they they seem to be trying to have it both ways because they're also saying, sending a clear message to him: don't fire Mueller. Right. I mean, Chuck uh, Grassley yesterday saying it would be suicide for the president to fire Robert Mueller. What does he mean by that? Suicide meaning impeachment? Who who knows exactly, but, I mean, Lindsey Graham basically said it would effectively mean the end of the Trump presidency. So I think that's what they're talking about, In, you know, e- either impeachment. I don't know. You know, I don't yeah. know what the options are, but, yeah, impeachment is, is certainly one of them. If you're saying the end of the presidency— the right. only way it could end before 2020, <laughs> right. right, is impeachment and conviction in right. the Senate, right. right? Or or some sort of resignation on Trump's part, but, you know, what would prompt that? Right. He ain't going to do that. Like, no. it just That's just not what Donald Trump So so You're going to have to drag him out of it. Yeah. 
But so, so what's interesting tonight? Uh, all eyes tonight after the Zuckerberg sideshow will be on. Will be down at the White House where you have the four top Republican leaders having dinner with President Trump. So this is McConnell, Ryan, Cornyn, and McCarthy. McCarthy, who has the best relationship with, and who knows what they're going to talk about. But certainly, you know, if if we know Trump's mind, it will. The conversation inevitably will steer towards this Russia investigation to Bob Mueller. Does he float the idea before congressional leaders of, of firing Bob Mueller and seeing what the reaction from the Republican leadership would be? Um, so it's going to be very interesting, and, and I'm hoping you know leaks from that meeting come out tonight because I think it's going to be very telling about you know what these future weeks and, and months are going to look like. There is no way that Donald Trump is going to have dinner with these four without talking about Robert Mueller. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> and and venting, right? And raising the possibility yeah. of firing Mueller, firing Rosenstein, firing Sessions, firing a whole gang of them. Right. right? Yeah. No, I, I think the... And, fi- the if, yeah, go and, ahead. And be interesting to see whether, how forthcoming they are in their response, reaction, and, and advice to him, which is, don't do this, Mr. President, you know. I, yeah, I think their advice would be, don't do this. I mean, there there are people surrounding the president right now in the White House saying, don't do this. Yeah, there are also some hotheads saying, do it, right? Well, I was on television with one of them yesterday in the Oval Office who told the president he should fire Rosenstein, Mueller, and Sessions. So he's he's hearing that. You know he's hearing that from Sean Hannity, yeah. right? And, and, uh, and Lou Dobbs. Some, mem- some members of Congress, including mm-hmm. Matt Gates, who, right. who was always on cable TV, certainly. So it depends on who who he's listening to. I mean, it's sort of like he has. But in the meantime, <clears throat> this idea that Congress would pass a little firewall to protect Mueller ain't going to happen. It's not looking like it, but as more and more stories leak out, I mean, like they did last night from the New York Times and, and mm-hmm. other publications that he is openly contemplating these moves with, with people close to him. Let me then, ask you this. If he did... If he did, okay, Peter and I have already uh, opined on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if were he to fire Robert Mueller, right? Right. You know that they would they would say, oh, how terrible this is, Republicans on Congress, starting with Paul Ryan, maybe Mitch McConnell too, John Cornyn would say, oh, this is terrible, we shouldn't have done it, you know, the bum But would they actually do anything? Meaning launch impeachment hearings. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, they have not shown a proclivity to stand up to Donald Trump to this point. And so, you know, that, that's a, that's I, a good not, question. I'm that's not a talking good question. about after January when the Democrats are in control of the House. <laughs> I'm talking about right now when Republicans still control the House. Do you really think that they would actually do anything to take that to, 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 in response? I, I could see Republicans punting and saying, let's let the voters decide that right. question. Exactly. 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 Mm-hmm. exactly. You should write some of these ads, Scott, because that's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what they're going to say. No. Right. Yeah. They're not going to do anything. I mean, everybody says this, is, this will be a con- provoke a constitutional crisis. It will, I think. But leading all the way to the end of where the Constitution could take us, not this gang. I You're think, right. I think that's exactly if right. Heavens on any <clears throat> proclivity, well put to stand up to him so far, uh, unlikely to do so. 
You've also been writing about um, another member of the administration uh, who probably is very happy that the FBI raided uh, Michael Cohen's office because Scott Pruitt is out of the headlines uh, for for a little while. For at least Remember a day. That? For at least <laughs> a day, right? Exactly. <laughs> but, um, I mean, there's so many, there's so much that on in the ethical side, right? right. That this guy's done right. wrong. But Donald Trump just still loves him. He's right standing now. by him. Yeah. And I'm I'm quite actually surprised because we did not see Trump stand up for Tom Price, for example. And right. it seemed like Tom Price committed offenses, you know, far less than Scott Pruitt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because Pruitt, we're talking about airfare, first class airfare. We're talking about this, uh, you know, condo issue on Capitol Hill, fifty dollars a night condo issue. We're talking about raises for his top. Staff, you know, I think putting them over two hundred thousand dollars a uh, year, which is really unheard of in the federal government. Plus know? all this extra security that is the, ordered the security from that's cost costing yeah. millions of dollars and the telephone booth, and I mean it goes on and on. Yeah, right? I mean I and heard with Tom Price. It was just a matter of first class airfare, right? Wasn't it? Or just it just a jets. matter of yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that, Scott Pruitt's got that. Right. And a whole lot more. Right. And I guess the one thing, the one part of the equation we're missing is that Tom Price was not able to deliver on repealing Obamacare. Scott Pruitt has delivered on repealing a number of, of Obama regulations. Well, because he didn't need to get it through Congress. Right. Right. You know, Tom Price did. Right. To but but him, Pruitt but can point Pruitt to can, a, a sure. successful yeah. record. Um, of wrecking the environment, which is Donald <laughs> Trump said, yeah. a successful record in, in uh, the Republican administration's eyes and, and Donald Trump's eyes. So certainly. Right. So is is Pruitt solid, safe? I would not say he's safe. I think, you know, th there's been a temporary pause, but gosh, last week it seemed like there were seven stories a day coming out about Pruitt, and I think if if more shoes drop and this continues to be. A story, mm -hmm. uh, and I know there are reporters digging into every aspect of this. Oh, I'm sure bet. there's yeah. FOIA requests for every single email, and and this is unlike Congress or the White House, where you actually can FOIA documents and and get those mm -hmm. documents back, and they they are public. Uh, once you know, I think once a lot of that stuff starts coming out, uh, if it hasn't already, I think. Trump has a, a tough decision. He, the, he doesn't like he doesn't like these stories. The other thing that that I think helped Scott Pruitt in the short term is that Congress wasn't around for the last couple of weeks when this story yeah. really bubbled up, and so in, in in a lot of ways, it was just sort of the quote unquote fake news media with this story against Donald Trump, right? And so the people that he thinks he should be listening to, like some of the Republican politicians, they haven't weighed in on this. They haven't said how they feel about Scott Pruitt or what should happen to Scott Pruitt. And they didn't yesterday either on their first day back because there was too much other stuff yeah, going on. Right. Yeah. So meanwhile, um, how's the big infrastructure bill doing? <laughs> is it infrastructure week again? <laughs> it, it is infrastructure week. No, I, I don't think I don't think we're going to see anything big for the rest of the year. I think well, con Congress is turning well, their, right. you know. That's where I was going. So you mentioned the tax cut bill last year, yeah. as effectively the only major thing they did. I mean, there are a lot of other little bills, but that was they did one big thing, the tax cut bill. This year they did their big omnibus spending bill. Like, they've shot their load, right? I mean, that's it. <laughs> they uh, So there's sort of two, two thoughts here uh, in the Republican Party. One is, on the more conservative side, they want 
more conservative victories. They want mm-hmm. to be more aggressive. They want to yeah. they want to tackle. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they want to do infrastructure, but they want to do some other things. Yeah. And on the other hand. There, I think there's the Speaker of the House who's saying, let's just run on tax cuts alone. This is a winning message to preserve the majorities, and this is what we have to stick to. And it works so well in Pennsylvania 18 that they can take it all to the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah, right. Let them try. Hey, Scott, it's always good to see you. Thank good to you see for you, your good work. Check it out. TheHill.com. Zach Beecham from Vox this joins us next. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Will Donald Trump provoke a constitutional crisis? Doesn't have to. We're already in the middle of one. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Wednesday, April 11? Here we are together again on the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, but joining you everywhere in this great land of ours. We're there with you online, on on uh, television, and on the radio, and it's good to have you with us because, man, there is news just happening on every front, everywhere you turn. you got to run fast to keep up with it uh, anymore. Uh, that's our job with you, and your job is to tell us uh, what you think about it all. Zach Beecham will be joining us here from Vox to talk about some of the um, challenges on the foreign policy front. Uh, by the way, we've been consumed with what's happening with uh, uh, the clash between Donald Trump and the special counsel and the attorney general and the deputy attorney general and the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Uh, but meanwhile, we still have a chemical weapons attack in Syria and an expected U.S. response to that uh, any minute. I'm very surprised that it hasn't already happened. Uh, I thought it would happen uh, two days ago. Uh, and then we still have uh, plans underway for the big summit with Kim Jong-un, which the president says will happen in May or oh, right. before the middle of June. We'll that find that out whole thing. It. That whole thing. So uh, lots of that coming up. And you and your comments, always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Jump right into the news of the day, but first... <laughs> This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. There is no hiding from Stormy Daniels. She continues her press tour. According to page six, she has given yet another interview to Penthouse Magazine. Oh, my God. And again, according to Richard Johnson for page six, he says that they covered some areas that were not covered on 60 Minutes. Quote, she answers a lot of questions about Trump that Anderson Cooper didn't ask, end quote, is what one of the sources told Richard Johnson. And if you know it was a penthouse interview. Hey, that's what, yeah, <laughs> right. 
that's kind of what I'm getting at. I mean, it's sort of obvious that uh, they would be able to ask some questions that Anderson Cooper might not have been able to, to, to ask. Well, so. again, again, I went back and I read that her initial, she's told this whole story. Yeah. I think it's Insight Magazine or whatever it was. That sounds right. Yeah. And I mean, she, the thing that the quote of hers is stuck out, struck out to me from that interview was she said, I could describe his junk if I had to. Yeah. Well, let, I hope she doesn't have to. Well, here's the thing, though. Not only did she give another tell all interview, she also posed nude for the magazine, which will be part of, of this role. I mean, it's Penthouse Magazine. What do you expect? So uh, we'll be hearing and seeing a lot more from Stormy Daniels here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, here is something that uh, you absolutely should never, ever, ever do. There's a man in Cooperstown, New York, unnamed man, 34 years old. He decided he was going to impress his friends and eat the world's hottest pepper. It's a Carolina Reaper is what it's called. It's a hot pepper. It's the hottest pepper in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. He entered a hot pepper eating competition. He ate it and then immediately had to go to the hospital. He had intense stomach pain, dizziness, caused him to weep and vomit. So, look, if you want to impress your friends, surely you can figure out better ways to do it than to eat a Carolina Reaper, the hottest but, pepper in the world. But he had to know ahead of time, right? He knew it was going to be hot, but I don't think he realized what he was getting himself into. Yeah. In terms of, of just how bad it was. By the well, way, Laura, Laura Ingram is back on Fox News. Uh, and even though she's back, she did still lose some sponsors. A couple of sponsors were with her on Monday night that dropped out right afterwards. Blue Apron dropped out uh, after their Monday night uh, 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 show. And uh, so and Slim Fast also did the same thing. So still more problems for Laura Ingram. Hey. This is the Bill Press Show. Constitutional crisis coming? No, no, no. We're already in one. Uh, Donald Trump saying, yeah. Fire Robert Mueller? Not just him. We're going to fire Rod Rosenstein, Robert Mueller, Jeff Sessions, anybody else who gets in my way. You are fired. That's what he loves to say. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's got to run fast to keep up with it. Wednesday, April 11, uh, coming to you live from our nation's capital. It is the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. And thanks you, thank you for catching up with us as we run fast to keep up with the news of the day. And joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT and Hello, hello, hello to all of our good friends on Free Speech TV, all of you watching on DirecTV, Free Speech TV. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us. And remember, uh, our most important guests are you. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show, and a very important guest joining us in studio from Vox, Zach Beecham. Hello, Zach. Nice to see you. Hey, Bill. Always happy to be all here. All right. All right. Good to, be, good to see you. So... Um, the president is uh, tweeting this morning. I have it uh, pulled up here if you want me to read the The, the, the one about tweet. Russia and the, yeah. and the missiles? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's okay. two of them. There's one right after that. Yeah, there's right one right after, after. that. Yeah, so this right. is the one so, he tweeted about an hour ago uh, that we read earlier. Uh, Russia vows to shoot down 
any and all missiles fired at Syria. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming. Yes. Nice and new and smart. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. And then uh, just a couple moments later, he tweeted, Our relationship with Russia is worse now than it has ever been, and that includes the Cold War. There is no reason for this. Russia needs us to help with their economy, something that would be very easy to do, and we need all nations to work together. Stop the arms race? <laughs> he ends his tweet. Mm-hmm. Stop the arms race, question mark. I, I think there's sort of a subtext there, which is I could really help with your economy, by building a new hotel in <laughs> Moscow. <laughs> yeah, look, if you just allow for like five or six different Trump properties, yeah, maybe give yeah. them like whole resorts, I think it would be great for the Russian economy. Uh, I, I think that's what he's really yeah. saying here, yeah. Well, first of all, do we have the does Russia have the capacity to shoot down our missiles? No. They, no. No, that, no. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. The Russians say things like that. We say things like that, too. But our missile yeah. defenses don't work very well, and ours are more accurate than theirs are. They might be able to shoot down a few Tomahawk missiles, but there's no way they could stop a barrage of missiles from the United States. Um, okay. And um, is there any doubt in your mind that um, these that there's going to be a response? No, at this point, no. I mean, it's weird. I, I can't think of any time where the president has leaked uh, incoming military action via a personal social media statement or anything like that, right? It's presidents in the past didn't like go on TV and be like, we're about to bomb. We're going to do it sometime soon. It was, they would make a deliberate case for war, but not announce when the military action would happen. And then, I mean, we remember, I mean, George Bush doing this and, and, um, and Barack Obama doing it after it happens, they come on television and say, we just, I remember Bill Clinton doing the same thing. We just launched a strike, or we just da 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 within the last hour. So, but it was always after the fact, right? right. Like one of the great ironies is that Trump's attack line uh, on Obama during the exactly. campaign, exactly, yeah, was what, you telegraph your tell the enemy ahead of time what you're going to do, and and they didn't is the thing. They just said at one point we might attack Mosul, or I mean, we obviously would in the ISIS war. This is what he was talking about, and yeah. yes. Obviously, at one point, there would be an attack to try to retake the largest city controlled by ISIS. That's not telegraphing things. What is telegraphing things is saying, we are going to use smart bombs and cruise missiles to attack Syrian bases sometime in the very near future. That, that, I I just, I can't imagine what wouldn't be telegraphing. Um, This chemical weapons attack, we learned about it Saturday, Sunday? Saturday. Saturday, Okay. It's Wednesday. Why is it taking so long to respond? That's a good question. Um, so there's actually real policy reasons, uh, not just like Trump is crazy reasons. Not that, that, I'm not uh, that I'm in a hurry to bomb other any other country. But, <laughs> right. But it's, it seems to me unusual for Donald Trump to take three days to respond. Well, in this case, the problem is that, the, you know, a year ago, basically the same thing happened. Yeah. Assad gassed a bunch of people and the U.S. decided to strike. That last strike was so ineffectual that the airbase that it hit yeah. was operational within 24 hours. And so that obviously didn't deter Assad. Now we know for a fact it didn't deter Assad from using yeah. chemical weapons yeah. again. So the thing you have to figure out and what it looks like, according to I think there's a New York Times piece on this last night, what people in the Pentagon and the White House are debating is how you can send a stronger signal that seriously will punish you more and more without getting yourself 
really deeply drawn into the Syrian civil war. And Trump, to his credit in this case, doesn't want to get sucked in to being one of the major parties of the Syrian civil war. Uh, at least that's what he says, and it seems mm -hmm. like he thinks. He said things like that over and over again publicly. And so the the military has a has a needle to thread in terms of the kind of strike they're going to want to put out when they're and it has to be uh, a military target, right? I mean, the last the worst thing for us would be massive civilian right deaths. Or, what do they call those? Uh, in, incidental deaths, civilian deaths that occur because you strike a military target that's near civilian population. Right. Right. So, yeah. So you got to find that and do it in such a way that um, it it has an impact, has some damage, and as you say, really slows them down somewhat. Yeah. It's it's got to be probably not just one target, but probably mm. multiple to send that kind of signal. And the more you hit, and the more if you want to do real damage, uh, the riskier it gets, because then you're probably not just lobbing cruise missiles; you're sending U.S. warplanes in, mm -hmm. and while some warplanes fly over Syria all the time, uh, there's a risk that they could get shot down. Not a likelihood, but a risk that it could happen. And if they get shot down, then, well, then you probably expect some kind of increased escalation. Imagine an American pilot gets taken captive. Not to say that any one of those things is likely to happen, but just that they could. It's very plausible. And so the more you escalate, the more serious the strikes are, the more risks are that you do, in fact, get sucked into the war. Does Russia way. have ground troops in Syria? They do. We could kill Russians. That's another risk. Right. Uh, but I was just thinking, too, that Russian, Russian anti-aircraft could shoot down an American plane. Well, they have provided anti-aircraft systems to the Syrian, Syrian government. Yeah. But so far... You know, Israel has flown over Syria many times, and they've mm -hmm. had relatively few uh, risks to their own planes. Right. Um, so uh, our Air Force is better than Israel. So. Um, meanwhile, when is the big summit between uh, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un going to take place? I think there was some comment on this from the president recently, but it got buried among the deluge of Syria, and I'm going to throw the U.S. into a constitutional crisis news. Mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that. I know. Yeah, That's the, why it's hard keeping the, up with stuff these days. The little yeah. thing. I think it's supposed to be in late May or early June, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, we're going to careen from two big crises right now to another one, which is like, is Trump going to be able to strike a deal with North Korea? Probably not. And if he doesn't, what happens? I don't know, and it could be bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, then there is the question. I'm just looking to see. I don't know if there's the New York Times or the Washington Post where I, where I read this morning. But there is a question about where they would meet, where they're likely to meet. What do you hear about that? Um, so my sense is that the, the two most likely options would be China, um, but that's less so now that Trump is mad at them about trade or mad again. But he's still best friends of, of, of president, with President Xi. He, he did says, say no matter what happens. No, I love Xi. Best friends. It's just, love, I don't and, understand this. I and, really don't. And we'll have chocolate chocolate cake together and be <laughs> happy forever after. But Trump only gets gets two scoops of ice cream on his chocolate cake, and <laughs> Xi only gets one. It's very important. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. China or or uh, somewhere neutral in Europe, like Switzerland. Something like that. Geneva is a popular place for international summits, but uh, well, I, it, it, I, it's not the New York Times, so it must be the Washington Post. This morning, reports that one problem that they're having is that North Korea doesn't have a plane 
they don't have a modern enough plane to get Kim Jong-un there uh, anywhere um, without having to stop several times to refuel if the plane could be trusted to cross the ocean. Uh, of course, he's never been on one, right? Yeah. I mean, he might have been on a plane, maybe on a plane, but not outside of North Korea. Well, he has. He went to school in Europe. Oh, he went to school? Okay. Yeah, he right. went to Well, he, he didn't, but Europe. he didn't take a North Korean plane, I guess. I would point. doubt that, yes. yes they they right. put him under a fake name and probably put him on a commercial jetliner right. under like a South Korean or a Chinese passport yeah. or something so like that. So it said this morning that the, that the government is sort of, they're, they're embarrassed in making these arrangements. They, they might have to borrow a plane. Like from South Korea <laughs> or from China, which would be embarrassing. I mean, right? it really throws this conflict into stark relief, right? Like North yeah, Korea, yeah, they have this yeah. powerful military and advanced right, nuclear program, right. but they purchase it at the expense of 40 yeah. years of technology. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's unlikely to be in the United States. Uh, no. I, I have a lot of difficulty imagining it being here, yeah. Mm-hmm. In part because of... U.S. sanctions on North Korea would probably make it quite difficult logistically for a lot of North Koreans to get here. Right. And do we should we read anything into Kim Jong Un saying that he will um, that he's that denuclearization is actually on the table? I cannot imagine North Korea agreeing to give up its nuclear program. No. Um, when North Korea says denuclearization, they don't mean what we think and what Trump seems to think, which is they just give up all their nuclear weapons and it's over. What they mean is not only do they give up their nuclear weapons, but the U.S. pulls its troops out of South Korea and ends its uh, agreement to defend South Korea in the event of an attack, thereby withdrawing the U.S. nuclear umbrella over South Korea, right? which is the, the term that security people use because they're weird. And... Mm-hmm. That would be uh, not something that the United States would probably want to take. It is certainly not a deal the South Koreans would very much want us to take because then the risks of war with the North just got a lot higher. And in the long run, the North would love to absorb the South. Now, there are competing military estimates about what would happen in a war between those two countries without the United States involved. South Korea's military is much more technologically advanced and could very well route the North. We don't know. But the risk of a, of a catastrophic war in which, I mean, if you look at the casualty estimates before nuclear weapons, they're unimaginable. Seoul is one of the largest and most advanced cities in the world, and North Korea has thousands of artillery aimed at it constantly. So, uh, you know, imagine downtown Manhattan being shelled by, you know, the 5th Infantry Division, and, and, and now you're, you're starting to get a picture of how bad it could be. Right. Uh, so be- prior to this summit with uh, Donald Trump, is the summit between the president of North Korea and the president of South Korea, right? But, and they're going to do that at, in the demilitarized zone with the DMZ. Yes. Yeah, that's unprecedented, um, this kind of meeting, at least in, in modern history. And Moon is a is a peacenik. Like he's you know elected on a lefty platform. He has constantly and consistently pursued conciliatory overtures to the north. His goal is to make the summit work. In some ways, it's his baby. Moon is the president of South Korea. Yeah. And so he is going to have every incentive to try to make things look calm, confident, smooth, highest point of relations between North and South in recent memory, et cetera, et cetera. Whether or not that's actually true, whether or not they you know, they actually make progress, they help lay the groundwork for a successful meeting, wherever it happens, Beijing, Geneva, uh, Kim Jong-un's basement, whatever. Um Mm-hmm. It, it could, it could he, go either way. 
and the ulti- the ultimate goal is unific reunification of the peninsula. So that those are that's definitely the the stated goal on both sides. Of both sides. Well, it's again, it's complicated, but I guess. It, but who who's on top, right, is the sticky point. Yeah, whose whose government gets to be in charge. Yeah. Right. It's not like South Korea recognizes the legitimacy of the northern government, but they don't have a stated goal of like, we're going to try to invade the north when we can. The north is very clear that one day they would like to kick the imperialists out and reunify the Korean peninsula. But they're just very far away from doing it. And there are certain to be unable to do it so long as the U.S. is an ally of South Korea. But you, yeah. And the idea of reunification sounds good. But right. You've got uh, a basically a Stone Age economy and a 21st century economy. Well. So if that were the only problem, it wouldn't be so bad because then you would have, you know, basically just a West Germany, East Germany situation. And that's worked out pretty much okay for Germany. I mean, it would be worse than that, but it could be dealt with. The issue is is more fundamental, right? First of all, the South Korean pop or the North Korean population is in uh, well, it's unclear what the state of the North Korean population is because no humanitarian people are allowed in to assess it. But the portrait that we get is that you have people in tremendous ill health who are trying to flee the country if they can, though it's very difficult to. You have a massive system of prison camps and, and vicious maltreatment of the citizens, so you'd have a public health crisis to deal with immediately. You would probably have large refugee flows in the event of a violent conflict that led to reunification with the North. So then you'd have these this huge number of displaced people that you would have to resettle. Plus, you have the small, not at all insignificant issue of what to do with North Korea's nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and how to secure them and how to make sure that, say... So North Korean general doesn't run off with a bomb and sell it to the highest bidder. Zach Beachman is with us from Vox. Uh, you can follow him at Vox.com, particularly covering, covering uh, foreign policy issues, which are not getting a lot of attention these days because there's so much happening right here down the street on the <laughs> Hill uh, or at the White House, right? It's crazy uh, consumed by the uh, Robert Mueller uh, mess, which we'll get into again uh, in just a few minutes with Julie Mason from um, Sirius XM, the POTUS channel. Um, so what is, how is Jared Kushner doing with his um, responsibility and his job of bringing peace to the Middle East? Oh, yeah, things are fine there. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're definitely... Now that he doesn't have a, a security clearance and we'll never get one. Right? Yeah, he's he's doing a bang-up job as we inch towards more serious conflict between Israel and Hamas over the Gaza protests. Uh, it looks like that, right? I mean, things are hardly settling down. Right, so Hamas has organized a series, more demonstrations. There was another one on Friday, last Friday, where a lot of people died. And Friday is the typical day for things like this. And, uh, or sorry, a lot of people were shot. I should amend that, given yeah. the precision of the Israel-Palestine conflict discourse. Um, it's bad. I mean, neither side has a particularly strong incentive to back down. From the Israeli point of view, this is an attempt to use protests as a cover to get Hamas operatives into Israel, where they can commit terrorist attacks. From the Hamas point of view and the Palestinian, the broader legitimate Palestinian point of view, separate from Hamas's, you know, they're penned up in absolutely awful humanitarian conditions, besieged on all sides by Israel or Egypt. And they feel that it's their right to nonviolently demonstrate for, you know, better living conditions and an end to the blockade. And you see the logic on both people's sides. 
But Israel has far more control over the situation, and there are many things that it could do differently to tamp things down. For instance, not shooting somebody who is wearing a press badge mm-hmm. in, in yeah. very clear letters. Uh, for starters, right? Yeah, that would be the beginning of it. But it does seem that there is um, that the that the gap has got wider, not more narrow, but to, uh, in terms of Palestinians and Israelis sitting down for any kind of lasting peace talks? I would say it probably hasn't changed. I mean, this could have, what's happening right now could have happened at any point in the last 10 years or so, roughly speaking. Uh, Well, give or take a few wars ongoing at that point in time. But it's it's a product of the fundamental dynamic of the Israeli relationship with Gaza. I mean, at any point, Palestinians could have been like, this is awful. We are in miserable conditions and we are going to charge the security fence in order to demand better conditions or come mm-hmm. it or protest around it, depending on whose language you use. And at any point, Israel could have responded with violent force. This type of situation is uh, an inherent risk of an unresolved Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It So long as there's no agreement, it this could happen at any point. So you can't really blame Jared for not fixing it. It, it's kind of laughable that he thought that he could. Well, no, I think yeah. that's the point, is it's laughable that anybody thought that he could do it. And Trump put him in charge of it on day one. And, you know, it's just like, hello? Yeah, Fine. and and where is he on this? What is he doing when it comes to this issue that is supposedly in his portfolio right now? Well, and some I, people would say he's using his contacts in the Middle East to raise money for his family's business. Uh, and there's some evidence of that. We just had... Um, uh, a very unusual visit to the United States. I think it's over now, but uh, started here in Washington, D.C. When the crown prince of Saudi Arabia came for two weeks. I mean, where did he not go in the United States, right? I know he, he well, was anywhere here. that wasn't on the coast. Well, he was in L.A. Oh, yeah, no, in, on the coasts. Oh, on the coast. He did a, he did no, a flyover but, country thing, didn't he? I think he, I think he did a Chicago stop. Oh, okay. I think. That I'm counts not, as a... Let's yeah, be, I'm, be I'm not sure. That's the heartland. Ish, <laughs> it's it's on the coast of the lakes, right? Of the lake, yeah, right? That's right. That's I think right. he stopped in Chicago, but but at any rate, it's been a lot of you know. This is not what these day visit fly in, fly out. No, no, no. no this is yeah. not that. This is a big. Uh, I would so. Term- what's going on, and what do we learn from that, and what's his mission, and what's our relationship? Uh, I mean, I would call this a victory lap. Um, Saudi has gotten everything it wanted from the Trump administration, and Mohammed bin Salman. Um, the crown prince. MBS, as right? He as is a, frequently as he is, referred to. Right. Uh, MBS is, for whatever reason, um, I guess Mohammed bin Salman's quite long. Um, and so MBS has really done his best to try to sell himself as a forward thinking reformer in Saudi Arabia. And he does some things that get a lot of press attention. Like, like letting women drive. Right. Or letting them attend soccer matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, talking about restricting the dress code but, or changing the restrictive dress code. And so everybody, you know, gets the sense that he's this like progressive guy. He has he talks in Silicon Valley vernacular sometimes. He wants to diversify Saudi's economy. And that's the image he wants to send. The reality of Saudi Arabia. He's a thug. Yeah. I I, I think right? that's probably I mean, right. Yeah. So what he, I, right, right. By the way, if you haven't read this week's New Yorker, there's a great profile of him. Um Dexter Filkin, I think the guy wrote it. At any rate, but it talks about how he came to power. I mean, pretty brutal came to power. And first thing he did was lock up. Now, it's kind of funny, right? 
he locked them up in the Ritz Carlton, but he rounded up most of the wealth, or a lot of the wealthy people in Saudi Arabia who were not his allies, and locked them up and took their money away. Yeah, and, and forced them to pay a bunch of money to the crown. Yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. And they yeah, were his right. his relatives. Some of yes, them. Yes, right? These are yes, these are royal yes. family members. Right. Right. But. You know, the joke is that that's the most Saudi thing ever among foreign policy advisors, right? You know, locking up crown up in the Ritz-Carlton. Ritz but in reality, the, <laughs> no, most, it is, but... yeah, the, the most Saudi thing ever is the fact that they continue to execute political prisoners. They execute people for homosexuality. And MBS is the architect of the war in Yemen, which has been going on for three years, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. roughly speaking, and has led to an untold number of deaths. It's too dangerous for anyone to count. Yemen is a country larger in pre-war population than Syria, and we don't know how much longer it's going to keep going, but the Saudis have committed things that I would term war crimes um, and things that the organizations that have to be more responsible of that language than I do have come close to saying are war crimes. Um, and, and this is him, right? This isn't just a Saudi government project in general. He was defense minister when it started. It was widely understood to be his personal priority. He pairs this forward-looking domestic vision with a policy of uh, repression when it comes to political opponents and certain other hated groups and extreme um, reactionary interventionism around the Middle East when it comes to trying to deal with Iran, who it sees as its principal enemy. It's almost Mm -hmm. paranoid Mm -hmm. in the way that the Saudis talk about it. And... They the the war in Yemen is one of the great humanitarian catastrophes of our time. And MBS just went around the United States and had dinner with The Rock and Morgan Freeman, where they celebrated him as a visionary. Yeah, right. Uh, and, Problem you know, solved. And by the way, hanging out with Mark Zuckerberg, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 by the way, and this and this war in Yemen, um, which nobody's paying any attention to. Nope. Uh, while you're right, Saudis the Saudis are committing war crimes. There, I agree with you. Uh, with the full support of the United States. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we Sometimes we send refueling planes in there, and so there's a Saudi jet that is on its way to go strike potentially a hospital, uh, potentially a school. They've hit those things in the past, potentially a water treatment plant. Uh, Yemen is in the middle of the world's largest cholera outbreak in modern history with over one million cases. Cholera is eradicated in the developed world because it is caused by water being contaminated and sewage getting in there. Mm-hmm. And right. so so people are being forced to drink water with literal feces in it, and they're getting sick as a result. And so the, the, the you know this plane is flying along to commit its next war crime, and there's a U.S. jet coming to make sure that it stays in the air. That is the... The level of complicity the United States has in these atrocities, it's not indirect. Is there any good news in the world? I mean, baseball season started. <laughs> oh, God. Whoa. That's bleak. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Nats got off to a big start, but it faded fast. Now they're bouncing back now, yeah. but um, okay. All right, there it is. Folks, take that. Take that. There's your good news for the day. <laughs> oh. Baseball season has started. Hey, the Mets are doing great. If you're a Mets fan. The world is falling apart, but hey. Baseball season. Baseball's back, baby. My fiance is a Blue Jays fan, so she's very happy. Oh, wow. All right, you got it. Hey, Zach, it's great to see you. Thanks so much. Great to see you, Follow Zach at Vox, vox Vox.com, and the great and one and only Julie Mason. She's up early today. That's a rarity. Here from Sirius XM's POTUS channel, joining us next in the studio. We'll be right back. 
that video. Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we are on a Wednesday, April 11. What do you say, friends? Uh, the Bill Press Show wrapping up here on a Wednesday. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we boom out to you uh, coast to coast from our little perch right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building. Uh, and with all the news of the day and a big bit of breaking news right here. Uh, and joining us just in time for this breaking news. You don't know how unusual it is, how rare it is, <laughs> how honored you are that Julie Mason got up early this morning to join us. And so she is not known as a morning person. I'm known as the opposite, Bill, but I'm delighted Hi, to Julie. show up for you. Good Great morning. To see Good morning. You. She, of course, is the host on Sirius XM POTUS channel of the Press Pool. Uh, which I always enjoy joining in studio. Or Thank you, sir. It's great to see you. And just during the break, uh, breaking news that, uh, uh, according to Axios, Paul Ryan has told associates and is soon going to announce he will not not only not run again for speaker, he is not running for re-election. That he is, is amazing news. That I mean, he must feel that blue wave coming and just, you know what, I'm out of here. It's got to be, right? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. if he saw that they're going to hold on to the majority and be able to push the, his agenda, yeah. he'd stay. No. Or maybe not a speaker, but he'd stay, <laughs> right? Sure. Well, I mean, I don't think he'd stay uh, uh, as minority leader. No. True, yeah. Uh, that, right. Uh, I think it's hard I'm to give sorry. up the gavel. But uh, but but yeah, but not even going to run again because the speculation up until now, Bill, as you know, had been that he would run again. And if he won re-election and they lost the House, that mm -hmm. he would then say, well, he would step down. Right. But that for right now to render himself sort of useless and irrelevant <clears throat> heading into election year would be a great disservice to the Republican Party. Now, um, I've, I've lost track of the count, but <laughs> I think it's over 20 yeah. Republicans who had already said they're not going to run for mm -hmm. re-election. Right? So now yeah. we add one more and a big one. Right. Huge. Which means with Democrats having to win 23 seats now after winning Pennsylvania 18, it was 24. Now it's 23. This is going to make it all the more difficult for, for Republicans to hold on and and all the more likely that there could be a blue wave. How big a wave? We don't know. Yeah. But Right. You yeah. No, I, y you have to interpret this move as further indication that Republicans have uh, I don't want to say given up because I know there's still well, yeah. many who hold down hope and and I don't like to prognosticate of how it will turn out. I mean, you saw that NBC News poll last night that showed that the Republican Party now 89 percent approve of President Trump. It is the party of Trump. They are still going strong. And, and, and of course, you can't discount Democratic enthusiasm and and the strong sentiments and the activism and all the women that are running. But. If 2016 taught us anything, Bill, it's that don't don't count on no, outcomes. No, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and as a Democrat, I I'm very hesitant to say, oh man, we got it in the bag yeah. this year and start right counting mm -hmm. our chickens before they hatch. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> no, we had we've had turkeys in the studio. Turkeys, now we, now we got chickens. Um, but <laughs> that's, by the way, an, if that's I, an inside joke, by the way. Will. I, 
I, I just want to point uh, this out. Yes. You know, Iron Stash, who we've had in studio, uh-huh. Randy yes. Bryce, who's running against Paul Ryan, or who was running against Paul Ryan. Uh, the last tweet he has from, was from 11 hours ago, and he says, We outraised Speaker Ryan in the first three months of 2018 by almost $2 million. So aside from all the, you know, tumult within the Republican Party. He also was facing a relatively serious challenger who's bringing in real money. Yeah, but I, had, I do have to point out, Paul Ryan was raising a ton load of money for the uh, Republican yes. Congressional Campaign Committee, whatever it's called, RCCC, I guess. And so he could have put more money in his own campaign, I think, if he if he wanted to or if he had planned to run. I don't think he would have run out of money. But, but Iron Stash... Randy Bryce has run an impressive campaign. Two million in a congressional race is pretty uh, yes. impressive. Yeah, no, it really is for somebody who's ne- who's who's never uh, who's never run before. But um, so indications are that's that's a real that's a real stunner. And um, uh, you know, you mentioned the um, the number of Democratic candidates who are out there, particularly women who are running. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of energy, right? I saw on Fox and Friends this morning, so therefore. Has to be true. Has to be. Uh, among millennials, um, do, you, do you lean Republican or Democrat? 55% of millennials said they lean Democrat, 21% Republican. That's adorable. They ought to vote. Yeah, wouldn't you that know? be nice? That would be sweet. Yeah. Keep hearing about the kids and they're gonna, they'll, they'll have their say. But, you know, these midterm elections are not great for young voter turnout. As you know, they never have been. No. And going back to this idea of all these these Democratic candidates, what I'm afraid of, Bill, is there's so many of them. Uh, oh, no. Yes. I know what you're, where right? you're going. That yeah. there's, there's going to be some like liberal version of Todd Akins coming in. People who would like maybe oh. say some things and maybe not qualified or maybe shouldn't even be up in there. But there's just like such this glut of Democratic candidates. And there are going to be some who slip through the cracks who are going to be, you know, maybe a little cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that anybody cuckoo hasn't slipped through the cracks before. (laughs) (laughs) Would not be the first time. Uh, God bless them. So um, apparently Donald Trump is really pissed off. (laughs) Right. Right? Sky is blue, water is wet. Uh Right. And talking about firing Robert Mueller, firing Rod Rosenstein, firing Jeff Sessions because he recused himself. Um, what I wonder is because the man he appointed as the U.S. attorney in, in Southern District of New York, Jeffrey Berman, recused himself uh, on this uh, Michael Cohen investigation. Is he going to fire him, too? I don't know. <laughs> well, but, it was a stunner yesterday when Sarah Huckabee Sanders said at the White House that the president yeah. believes he has the authority to fire Robert Mueller. That was a new interpretation. Uh, that sounded a lot of legal head spinning. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. We don't think because everybody, everybody has said there are rules in the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. It's our special counsel. You can only fire the, only the attorney general yeah. who's recused himself. So therefore, the deputy could fire him. And it has to be for, I think, there are for five. Cause. For yeah, cause. For cause. Right? Yeah. yeah. So what do you think he's going to do? Presidential annoyance, I think, is not cause. He had dinner last night with Alan Dershowitz. Oh, God, right. Uh, who, Dershowitz, who's been speaking to him through the television via Fox News. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Lou Dobbs has said, fire that son of a bitch, talking about Mueller. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> Sean Hannity has told him that. Um, what do you think he'll do? Is is he, I guess, I'd say, is he crazy enough to fire Mueller or? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think he is. I see. So do I. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, because I think for a long time he wasn't, and you know, and 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 you know, things were were percolating along. But I think these latest bold moves by the Mueller investigation indirectly into Michael Cohen and whatnot uh, really has a president in tailspin, and he's he seems furious. I mean, you know, he's busy with Syria. Obviously, he canceled that trip, which he never wanted to go on anyway. You could tell yeah, he was yeah. just never that into it. He was he was bitching about the fact that it was too long, the too many countries. Why do I have to Peru, go? Peru. Who wants to go to Peru? Like right. Peru is awesome. <laughs> and Colombia, like that's coming back. Uh, but um, yeah, so he bagged that trip and he's staying in town. Uh, but so I mean, he does have the Syria thing to work on and worry about. But this other thing, this Mueller thing, yeah, and and I don't I don't get what Republicans are doing because they keep, you know, solemnly intoning that legislation to protect Mueller. It's not necessary. The president's not going to fire him. It's like, oh, how many times does he have to dupe you guys before you start to take him seriously? Mitch McConnell said that again yesterday. Yeah, right? so Lindsey Graham. Yeah, they're all saying it. Like what? What reassurances could you get from this president that would be sufficient? He says a lot of things. <laughs> so you and I both believe that he will fire Mueller. Yes. I, I, yeah. I I, I I honestly do. Yeah. Right. And I'm not uh, I'm not just disasturbating Bill. Okay. I really think it's true. Then, what will Congress do? Nothing. They nothing. Bingo. They won't do anything. Bingo. There'll be a lot of screaming and posturing and waving of p- pieces of paper, and they are they are they they are nothing to him. They have no power. He has rendered them useless. Do you think the uh, raid on Michael Cohen's uh, documents or his his papers is a serious matter for the president? I mean, yeah, of course, of course. How could it not be? This guy has been the fixer for the president or for Donald There's Trump. Nobody, for close, what, nobody closer. Nobody right? closer. And yeah. and nobody more involved in the sort of stickier aspects of his business dealings going back, I guess, a decade or so. He's better call Saul. He's he's better call Saul from uh, from the TV show. Like, he's just that slimy guy who will make things happen. But, you know, you, you use the phrase that uh, I was in New York yesterday that everybody up there who knows him. Mm-hmm. Calls him the fixer. The fixer. Yeah, yeah. And and there's something else that came out. Uh, um, Susan, I forget her last name. I was on CNN with her yesterday, but she was saying she knew him. He ran for city council and lost. And the big issue was he's tied up in the taxicab business in New York. When when they said taxicab medallion, you know, I'm a lo- former local news reporter in Houston, Texas, right? Covered City Hall. When people start talking about taxicab medallions, every alarm starts going off in my head because that is there's always someone running a scam. There's always a scam when it's taxicab medallions. So she said when when she first heard that Michael Cohn was representing, mm-hmm. she said Watch out for the taxi cabs. Everybody yes. said, no, come on. Yeah, that's just some little side And there were stories biz. this morning that mm-hmm. one of the big deals that could bring him down, he owns 34 taxi cab medallions, and apparently in New York, if you're involved in that taxi cab business, you're involved with some really mm-hmm. shady people. Yeah. 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 And and this is this is Michael Cohen, so <laughs> watch, out, watch, out, watch out for the taxi cabs. So, I mean, this is guy who's closer than anybody else um, to, to Donald Trump. But I got to tell you, knowing this gang, I think he could throw Donald Trump under the bus and Donald Trump could throw him under the bus. Who, Michael Cohen? Would he, though? I mean, I think that's a bit of a liberal fever dream. I mean, how do you how do you fix and make money and get rich and tie your identity so closely to another person for so long and then flip because what? You're facing prison. 
I mean, uh, yeah, like yeah. thirty years. Yeah, I don't think these are tough guys. I don't think these guys are are are, are, are tough enough to do the time. I think you dangle something like that in, uh, in front of them. Hey, you're going to go to jail for twenty five years or twenty years or whatever, whatever it is, right? I I think that that's all it would take. Yeah, I really do. Uh, and apparently, we, we learned this morning that the focus on the raids was the documentation on the payments to Stormy Daniels and to Karen McDougal. Right. Well, and because... specifically whether they violated some campaign finance laws. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the infidelity. The alleged right. yeah. the alleged philandering is not the issue, but the the money is the so, issue. But that represents a, sort of a whole new front in yes, the Mueller investigation because yes. he's been looking at Russian collusion, obstruction, and Trump mm-hmm. bu- and Trump family business deals. And this would be kind of a new a new little turn for him. Haven't we seen this movie before? Have we? S- Ken Starr starts out with a real estate <laughs> deal mm-hmm. and we end up with um, mm-hmm. the sex report that he finally published. So if Robert Mueller starts with collusion with Russia and ends up with paying a, uh, with right. hush money not to talk about an affair and therefore maybe attempt maybe again attempting to influence the election right chercher la femme yes yeah. absolutely what what's different here though and and talking about like star and fitzgerald and those investigations is that there was not this um collective effort to pre-butt the findings of i mean there was always partisan like oh ken star this is outrageous and blah and fitzgerald and you know valerie play and all that and there was there was you know yak yak on both sides but there wasn't sort of wholesale undermining you know with the collusion of friendly media and and a whole political establishment saying like oh well you know Mueller's a liberal and this thing was screwed up from the start and they're so biased and conflicts of interest mm. we didn't have that with with Ken Starr even Mr. Fitzgerald Julie Mason, Press Pool, Sirius XM, every afternoon. Uh, check it out. Channel 124. I yeah, 3 to 6. Yeah, three, I know. Uh, 124, so, 3 to 6. 3 to 6, East Coast time, and here in the studio with us. Uh, Julie and I first met when we were both uh, covering the White House under mm-hmm. the Obama years, mm-hmm. uh, before she went off to fame at Sirius XM. But I admired you a la distance long before that, <laughs> Thank you, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Julie is also one of the few people that I know actually read my entire book. I love book that book. I love that From book. the Left, A Life mm-hmm. in the Crossfire. Yeah. We had a lot of fun talking about it. It was it. really Thank you fun. Again. Check out our website, book. BillPressShow.com. Find out more about it. Um, so, as uh, are you still a member of the White House Correspondents Association? Yes, I am. Okay. And we have our big dinner coming up. Yes. And the president is not coming again I'm, this year. I'm di- I know you're probably pleased. I'm disappointed no, by I'm that. I'm disappointed. Yeah. It gives I mean, it a I sense of occasion. He went, to, he went to the gridiron dinner. Mm-hmm. I was there. He did okay. He yeah. did well. Baby actually. steps. He's allowing. There's the the and sending thought, of Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the tacit allowing of oh, other administration officials. Yeah. Okay, but but her going means that like Rick Perry can go now and like other cabinet members. It'll be fun. There'll be more of them there. Damn, I'm, I don't have an extra seat at my table, or I would invite Rick Perry in a He's flash. He's so fun at these dinners. <laughs> he swills the vino. He talks a little smack. I He's have hilarious. seen him at this dinner. Before. Yeah, he's yeah. great. He is yeah. a blast. But um, I, th- I thought, I thought this year that Trump might come. Me, me too. But I think when it would CNN, be a little awkward. Yeah, when CNN got an award for their dossier coverage, and the president yeah. was going to have to sit there while the while they handed out that award, I thought, okay. Well, that's... not only that, he would have to shake hands with Carl Bernstein. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> it 
would have been an awkward moment when they get their award and then they walk through and they shake hands with everybody at the head table. Right. Yeah. Uh, Carl Bernstein's at the head table again. No, he'll get his award. Oh, his award. Yeah, walking through. But it's also like, have you ever seen Trump laugh? At, like at all? Well, he laughed. You no, know, he laughed at the gridiron. Sure, he was like, funny I, at the gridiron. Everyone was all like, "It was mean," yeah, but he. Was, I thought right. he was hilarious. He, he, right, he, right, right. But like, but like, my, my point it's is funny. He got off track on a few t- a few things. But don't we all, Bill? I mean, who among us? There's no camera. <laughs> there's no cameras there, right? Like we haven't seen the the thing. You were there, I know. You, you saw it, but like. I, I tweeted we, out some stuff not knowing I was not allowed to. We've never seen. <laughs> I could have gotten arrested. We, we've never seen Trump in front of a camera like laugh at, at, at anything, right? And like that's what the correspondence dinner is kind of all about, in terms of the entertainment, right? And there's like self-deprecating humor. Obama had to sit through it. George W. Bush had to sit through it. Every president's had to sit through it. Like he's not going to sit there and deal with. But that. he did a little self-deprecating humor at the gridiron, mm-hmm. you know, which I, everybody was going, "Could he pull it off? Could he pull it off?" Of course, he, he said, he "I'm the best person at self-deprecating humor <laughs> in the whole world," which was his way of uh-huh. making fun of himself. That mm-hmm. was that, was, that, that was, was funny. It was a it was a funny line. I'll tell you one thing: you and I were there, and I think it was 2011. When Seth Meyers and Barack Obama did all the Trump jokes, and mm-hmm. he was sitting there, he wasn't laughing that night. No, he was he was very cross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, we had another big departure from the White House this week. Tom Bossert, yeah, who was the spokesperson for the National Security Council. Uh, who he was, was the Homeland Security or advisor. Homeland Security Advisor, sorry. Mm-hmm. and he um, was on the talk shows just Sunday. I know. Speaking for the administration, Monday. John Bolton takes over as a new South Security Advisor, and Tom Bossert is out of a job. Right, and the NSC spokesman as well, whose name I'm just blanking on. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know. What do you think about all this, I mean, the turmoil, the churn at the White House? Well, I mean, I think, Bill, that it would matter more if this administration had an agenda and a plan, and this would disrupt those plans, but they're so improvisational. It's so day by day. You know, it's so like slapped together and that's their way. It's their style. I don't mean it as a pejorative. I think the churn would be more significant if they had a set agenda that they were trying to follow through on and all these arrivals and departures were disrupting that. But that's not what's up over there. It's like a bunch of people coming in. They don't know what the day is going to hold. But in the end, doesn't it? I agree with you on that, Mm -hmm. by the way. But in the end, doesn't it sort of impact their ability to get anything done? Yes. Yeah. But what are they trying to get done? Good like point. right, Good what's point. the agenda? Yeah. yeah, I mean the president talks about infrastructure, and he, uh, you know, but, oh, there we are again, right? But there everyone knows it's like a non-starter. Happy Infrastructure Week. It, yes, it is. Every it, everyone is happy, and um, every week is Infrastructure Week. Right, he would like to do a little more, some more tax cuts, that kind of thing. But he doesn't have. It's not like you remember when W came in with like four things he oh, wanted to do, yeah, and absolutely. Obama right. had a very clear vision about what he wanted to do. They all do. They all come in, but then Trump came in and was like, I don't know. And Paul Ryan tried to give him his, and that you know that didn't really go anywhere. It is sort of seat of the pants, which is why you mm-hmm. say that the, the, the turn doesn't have the impact that it might. But right. you know, when the president said, "I don't need a new communications director," well, yes, he does. I think, but he, unless he, but if he's not going to listen to him or her, he might as well not have one. Right. Same thing with the chief of staff. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, John Kelly. I know. Boy, there's been that Washington Post story over the weekend about how Kelly has just been completely sidelined. Mark, they don't, he's sort of like not even listened to anymore. It's and unfortunate. A, right. And a lot has happened and he hasn't even like been in the room, yeah. it seems that we've heard. Mm-hmm. Right. So does he stay? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
What else is he going to do? <laughs> Dude needs a job. <laughs> hey, I saw some. We haven't talked about this yet. Today. I saw some numbers. Um, I don't know where this morning or early this morning. God, I was online. But um, <laughs> I think it was on Politico at any rate. Interesting things happening in the world of cable news. You and I are media mavens, mm. right? So we, but, um, you know, who's really, who's really pulling bigger audiences is, this, is MSNBC. Yeah. So the, the numbers are from first quarter 2017 to first quarter 2018. You might have seen these. Fox, they still lead, but Fox is down 16% in that year. CNN down 13%. MSNBC up 30%. That's amazing. Yeah, now, it really again, is. Again, Fox has 1.4 million people average in the evening, uh, MSNBC a million, um, CNN 713,000, which shows how far down they are. But, you know, what to, What does that tell you? I mean... The opposition does well when, de- depending on who's in the White yeah, House. I yeah. mean, Fox was blown up when it was Obama. Right, you know, they right. struggled during the Bush years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but they've been steadily building their audience. They've got a slick news product. They really do. And strong personalities draws people in. But yeah, but people want the the succor. Is that the right word of the um, of the liberal voice right now? And so those nighttime hosts on MSNBC, you know, the Rachel, the Chris, the gang, Chris and Rachel and Lawrence O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And they're they're really the answer to Laura Ingram and Tucker and Sean Hannity in a sense. They're, they're your two. And then CNN is trying to have it both ways in the middle, and they balance all their panels. And it look, I'm not saying nobody wants it, but it's certainly not as popular as the other alternatives. I just I don't think those panels. I think there's they there's been uh, there's been some reporting lately about those giant panels, and I understand what they're trying to do. I'm not sure people want that. I think they want like a one on one with a compelling host, and they want to hear like some intelligent discussion. And they want a point of view. Yeah, I mean, they want. Is this or that, but mm-hmm. not this wishy-washy in the middle. I mean, yeah. And it's also like, I mean, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> in general? What the hell is going on? Yeah. And, like, I don't necessarily want to see two different people from opposite points of view just shouting at each other. Yeah. Just tell me what the hell is going on. Right. That's all I want. And and what's, and what's important, because there's so much, yeah. that when you stop and say, all right, this you can put to the side, this is worth focusing on. Yeah. The other thing, and, and I'm very sympathetic to CNN about this, it's really hard to find pro-Trump talkers who are smart and worth listening to. Uh, There's just a lot of belligerent screaming on both sides. But the, finding really good Trumpy people is is tough. I've, you know, I've got a few who come on my show. Uh, John Fury, for example. John's great. Yeah, yeah. he's great. And good he's very friend. reasonable. And he'll, he'll call out the president when there's something he doesn't like. And, you know, there's a few others. But for the most part, like the Republicans here in town are sort of the low-grade, ha- you know, hashtag never Trumpers. It's hard to find someone who will speak up for this administration and give that point of view. Yeah. No, I, mean, I was on with one yesterday, this go unnamed on CNN, who just said, oh, this is horrible, this is a direct, like Trump, this is, a, this is an attack on our country, and he, he should fire Mueller, Rosenstein, Sessions, and, you know, like anybody. Look. Yeah, that's not very, it's not useful. No, not yeah. going to get it. So, um, but it's interesting, I think, what's happening on the cable I think thing. it's extremely So yesterday, big moment in Washington, uh, so much fun to have you here. Uh, <laughs> it was um, 42 to 1, 42 senators and one Mark Zuckerberg. Who won? Zuckerberg won. I thought he owned them. I mean, he's up in the House today, and it's a little, you know, 
it's a little more frontier justice I, yeah, in the I, House well, of Representatives, so yeah, they'd be yeah. a little different. Uh, but yeah, they they uh, they seemed um, unfamiliar with Facebook. Uh, You're being too kind. They were sort of learning about it for the first, kind of feeling around on, for the first time. Oh, what is this? You call this an iPhone? <laughs> it is like flip phone city up there in the, in the Senate. Yeah, it was. And he was so rehearsed. He was so rehearsed. And just, you know, and it was, he was to the point of robotic, you yeah. know, and oh, he yeah. just, he just, you have to give him credit though Say what totally. you will, their crisis management has been good, totally. right? Like totally. get at, just admit fault, admit fault, take responsibility, diffuse the anger, just smooth it out with like bland. Yeah, he didn't get flustered no. at all. He no. didn't get angry. He didn't get anything. No, Nothing defensive. Uh, it was interesting that he uh, revealed that Facebook is cooperating with the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> who's Aren't not? Aren't we all? All right. Hey, catch the jewelry this afternoon and every day from 3 to 6 on Sirius XM. It's a press this pool. And have a great day. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Bill.